Hi, everyone. Welcome to another week of Future Food Weekly. I'm Sonali Figueres, your co-host, and joining me is Steve Molino. Hey, Steve. Hey, Sonali. What's going on? What's going on? I am going to be in Dubai from tomorrow, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I've pretty much been in a cop reporting haze for the last week. Uh, we're doing a really fun daily digest where we're covering everything that people need to know about food and climate from COP. So it's pretty comprehensive, but it's also like a ton of kind of keeping up with everything going on. So headlines, the major reports that are coming out, um, really interesting coverage from other media that we like, like good op-eds, et cetera. And then fun, cool stuff like in today's digest that we just published, um, we are sharing a, a GPT tool that is um, basically for people, for everything COP. So you can ask all COP related questions to this AI tool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's I mean, I yeah, it's fun. It's just funny. You're doing like a daily digest on COP and then the, the newsletter is basically like, a digest of all the digests, which is kind of perfect, right? But like that just shows how how much is going on there. And I spoke to one person who's there and she was just like, it's impossible to even go to a tenth of everything because there's so many things happening that are simultaneous. And you were mentioning this last week, how like you really just have to pick your lane and go to it and, and just try to do as much as you can. But uh, I'm excited for you to go and hear how it is. Yeah, so am I. I mean, obviously really excited about the big food day on the 10th, which is Sunday. Um, so this is a working weekend because the two big days for food are really, well, there's been a few, but the really big official one is on the 10th. So we're expecting a big FAO announcement that day and just a lot. There's a lot going on. And um, I'm in a bunch of WhatsApp groups and there's just, there's so much going on. And there have been some big um, declaration signed around around health and nutrition and there's been a big sustainable food one signed on so there there's stuff going on um the big story this week is cop related i tried to keep the rest of the edm not cop related because obviously this is a gen general future food um newsletter and and show but it would be remiss not to mention cop and all the food news that's coming out and so what we've been doing in our digest and what I've been doing separately and in some of my WhatsApp groups, everyone's keeping track of kind of all the big announcements around funding that are being made at the summit from all kinds of different uh, groups, some public, some nonprofit, um, and then some, some private just kind of investments into food systems and agriculture. Um, and so we've we've done kind of a like an overview in the big story of like all the different key things you need to know about what's gotten funded in food. Um, and very honestly, if you if you look, there are some big commitments, like, for example, the Bezos Earth Fund has committed 57 million for the future of food as part of a one billion climate fund. Um, Norway has said they're going to give 47 million for climate adaptation, most of which will go to smallholder farms. Um, Bill and Melinda Gates uh, pledged funds for food and health as part of 770 million pledge to eradicate tropical diseases. So that's kind of indirect. Um, Ag Research Network, CGIAR, secured 890 million to support smallholder farmers. So most of the money that has been announced is actually for 
smallholder farms, which which is really good. Um, farmers are obviously some of the most, um, you know, <laughs> uh, they have one of the riskiest and most difficult jobs on the planet, and 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 their job is made even more difficult by the consequences of climate change. And smallholder farmers are just, you know, really needing support. So I think what's really clear from this COP is a lot of, uh, a lot of thinking about equity, um, you know, for folks who who have more trouble getting financing and help. Um, what is not coming out here, as you can probably tell, is protein diversification, making our protein more sustainable, figuring out how we're going to reduce um, meat consumption, especially in the gl global north. Like, none, there, there hasn't been any really big announcements around funding for that. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I think that that hits on like a really key point here where it's like, I, I try not to be too, too cynical, right? Where like, I, I want to appreciate seeing that there is money being pledged to, to sustainability and food and, uh, and at, to your point, equity in food, because while, while like, that's not our, our my focus as, as a, as an investment at my investment firm is really around the, the shifting away from industrial animal ag and, and there's the, the environmental, um, environmental sustainability component like we need equity in the food system there are, there are, there's what is it like 800 million people who don't know where their next meal is coming from so it's like that's to not focus on that would be insane so i love seeing that um but but not focusing on to your point this idea of behavior change like i would love to see investment in policy that is really shifting consumption patterns and consumer behavior to more sustainable options because there's only so many startups that you can invest in, right? There's only so many technologies. At the end of the day, the shift will be so much easier if people are just eating the way that they should from a climate standpoint. And that means less animal products. And, and so I, I, I don't see that. And, and then also, again, not trying to be negative here, but like the, the amount of funding that I'm seeing going towards food doesn't seem proportionate to the climate impact of food. So no. like just taking the Be Bezos Earth Fund, right? 57 million out of a billion dollar climate fund. So 57 million is going Nothing. to future food. That's, that's great. That's 57 million, right? That's awesome. But that's Same. like, that's five, 5.7% of the entire billion dollar fund. When we know that a third of our emissions come from agriculture and upwards of 14 to 15% of emissions come just from industrial animal ag alone. So like, yeah, it's good. This is great. We're seeing money go towards it, but like is the proportionate amount being invested in in the food space? I would say no. So it's no. it's good and not so good at the same time. No, 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 no. Definitely the proportions are clear. Climate again is is the bigger story, um, as you would expect at a major climate summit. But food remains a smaller part of it. Still, there are you know something like I don't know over a thousand food events happening official non-official on the side um there is a lot of chatter there are a lot of people that are that are involved in food policy and food negotiation and food activism and 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 big company roles at big companies and they are there so it's going to be interesting to see what happens after in the six months to 12 months after COP because it, it, there certainly is interest and conversation happening, but so far no major 
not, not as major as, as, as we would have hoped, but still we have quite a few days to go and the main day is on the 10th. So I would expect a lot of major announcements that day. Um, yeah. And major yeah. announcement from the FAO. Let me guess. We need to get rich nations to not eat as much meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that, yeah, they were, that, that already came out earlier. So I don't know <laughs> how much more can, can we, uh, but, uh, but yeah, let's see. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> so what? But yeah, else, I mean, be, what else uh, <laughs> caught your fancy this 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 week? Yeah, honestly, there's a lot in here that's like yeah. really really interesting stuff, and like I I so it was like picking was difficult, but so I'm kind of I just picked one that like I, it really stood out to me. Um, I guess from an investor perspective, it was about Ripple Foods, and uh, Ripple Foods is a large alternative milk um producer they 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 use yellow pea protein as their their real underlying hero ingredient in their milks and um it stood out to me because it's so they they raised uh almost a little over 49 million of of a new round um and it takes their total funding to 274 million since they've been founded in in 2014 so we're going on almost almost 10 years that they've been around as well um mm -hmm. so out of all the news, why did this one stand out to me? And it's just because when I think of like the origination of the alt protein or alt dairy space, like they're one of the, the original players that really started to like push things forward. And they were one of the first ones to use peas as, as their underlying ingredient versus like a soy based product or almonds or something like that. Um, and they were one of the first to really position themselves as a VC backable startup um, mm -hmm. at, at, at that time, which was, not the norm for food it's and it's become the norm but it's that's still like there's still a mismatch really between like vc approach and food sometimes so um but at the high level i see okay they 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 raised another almost 50 million dollars um i i've looked it up it's hard to tell exactly how much revenue they have because they're private but i see numbers between 40 and 50 million and and i just think of like okay so like what's the exit looking like for them they've been around for a while they just raised another big round if they have, let's say, 50 million in revenue and they're a CPG, selling for 5x revenue would be a good win. That's a that would be a really high multiple. So that would be 250 million dollars. That's that's a little bit below what they've raised. So it's like a, a that's a little odd. But then do they go the the IPO route where let's say they're maybe they're closer to 100 million in revenue and they go IPO? But do they want to? Because then they're going to be compared to Oatly. Maybe they get destroyed in the public markets because of what happened with Oatly. Um, but that's what was going on in my head. It's just like, wow, they've been around for a while. That's another big raise. I know they're doing well, or it sounds like they are. Uh, but what's the, what does the end game look like for them, for investors? Because unfortunately, whether, whether, whether they want to or not, when you, when you raise venture capital, that means you have to exit at some point, um, which is a whole other discussion if, if, if that's the right move for, for food companies. But I thought it was just a really interesting one. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, obviously, I'm looking at it a little bit differently, not not as much as an investor, um, but just kind of pea milk, you know, given where we are with alt dairy um, in the US, about 50, 15% of the market now is alt dairy, which, you know, is probably the most successful alternative animal product uh, category in the world. Um, where are we going from here? I remember when I had, when I first started in the organic trade business and I was going to conferences, I remember the first pea milk I saw was a Canadian company. Um, they were, they were the first, this was before Ripple. 
Um, so that's dating me now. That's 10 years, more than 10 years ago. Um, and I remember thinking, wow, that's super interesting. And at that point, oats had not, oat milk had not really become the default. It was very much almond milk and soy milk. And soy milk at the time was getting a bad rep for the phytoestrogen issue. And so kind of almond milk was really taking center stage as like everybody's favorite health, healthy alternative milk. Um, and then coconut milk was starting. But I remember thinking pea milk was super interesting because um, so peas are actually a little bit more sustainable um, from a crop point of view. They also are higher in protein, just it just if we're comparing peas and oat, for example. So, you know, it, it, it was interesting to me because growing yellow peas is just like really good for the soil. Um, so I, I was already at that time looking at like soil depletion, et cetera. And so I really thought that pea milk, I must say, was going to be a bigger thing than it was. And then it sort of hasn't really taken off except for Ripple. And then in Europe, what's taken off is a is a brand called Sproud, which is like the 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 favorite of a lot of kind of hipster baristas who are like kind of ditching Oatly for Sproud. And it's so funny. My reporter, Ane, um, he just like swears by Sproud. It's like pea milk is like absolutely he used to be a barista at one point when he was a student. And he just absolutely swears by it. And so it is, Sprout is Swedish, by the way, um, and obviously more in Europe. But it's just really interesting because I just feel like this company, Ripple, it's a, it's a significant company. It's not a small rinky-dink startup. It's raising significant amounts. But I just don't feel like pea milk is making the news much. You know? I agree. That's an, that's an interesting point. And like... Uh, I, I do wonder why that is because like, yeah, they're not, a, they're, they're really doing well or like from like, at least like a, a top line revenue standpoint, like they're doing, they're doing well, they're expanding. And, and like, I remember when they first started, I was like dying for them to be in some target locations, right? Like some target stores were going to start carrying them. And now it doesn't matter what, what, what retailer you go to, they are all over the place with multiple SKUs. They have their traditional SKUs, the kids SKU. So like they're, they're clearly liked and loved, but like, I don't, I don't think I can tell you another brand off the top of my head that is using pea milk. Um, and I don't know why <laughs> that's a really good, it's a good point. Right. And it's just, we're not having the same discussions about pea milk as we are about oat milk and it's not, you know, in the zeitgeist the same way. So anyway, it just shows you can build quietly build a very kind of notable and significant company in a, in a space that is full of controversy um, while escaping some of the, the both bad and good eye. So interesting. And, and, you know, peas are a legume, uh, if you will. I mean, well, it depends. Some people put them in the category or don't, but like essentially pulses are having a moment and there's going to be a lot of emphasis on using pulses in the supply chain and getting us to eat more beans and legumes and pulses, as I said, are good for um, the soil with they're, they're, they're just, they're a very good crop to grow um, and they're very hardy. So they're good for uh, areas where there's less water and they're, you know, you need to be more climate resilient and, you know, all over the world, like it, it pretty much except in North America, people rely on like some form of bean or legume or, or pee to, to sustain themselves along with like a, usually a carb, like a rice or a wheat. Um, and so it's just, it's, it's going to be interesting. Like, I just love to look at like ingredient pathways um, over a longer term 
And I think like, I think, I think yellow peas are going to have a moment. So I think it's not a bad thing to be in the yellow pea business um, beyond yeah. whether it's like sexy to a consumer or not. But uh, apparently in Europe, there are baristas who choose the, the pea milk over anything else. So it can be done. Interesting. Yeah, I agree. And my investor head says, how are they exiting? How's Ripple exiting at some point? But um, I mean, either way, this I is- would, I would see it as like, why doesn't one of the big, the big, you know, the big food companies kind of buy the brand and then kind of like- It's an interesting question, right? But like that, I, I feel like I was, I was talking, I won't say which one, I was talking to a very large um, CPG company yesterday. And, and they, they were basically saying that for any, any time they look at, at a business, it's got to be, I won't say the exact number, hundreds of millions of dollars in top line revenue. Oh, yeah. No, I've it. heard that if you're like below 100 million in, in revs, you're not, they're not looking oh, at yeah. acquisition. And that's like 100%. Grand. So, yeah. So, I mean, if, if Ripple's at 50, even 75, maybe they've had crazy growth that, that they're not telling us about. Um, they're, they're just too small right now to be, to be acquired, but, um, who knows, who knows, but uh, other news, what, what stood out to you? Well, I want to talk about the big misinformation report that came out from changing markets. Um, and, and, uh, it's, I think it's a really big story. Um, I mean, as much as I agree that, there has been overhype in the alternative protein space. And as much as I agree that, you know, valuations, you know, were too high in many cases and that many plant-based brands were valued as tech when they should have been valued as um, CPG companies. Um, and that there are plenty of products that are, you know, mediocre and lackluster on the shelf um, and too many samey products, all of these things being true, right? Um, and all, and, and the other thing being true is that people are not necessarily ready today to to give up meat, right? And that, that this, this idea that like a certain percentage of the population would move to become vegan is probably, you know, not, there's not as big of a percentage as we thought. However, I think it's really important to look at all of that within this kind of greater context of a world that is now very polarized in terms of information and media, both social media and mainstream media, right? Um, there is almost no kind of non-biased media, even media that is fact-checked and science-based usually has an agenda, okay? Um, whether it is more liberal or more conservative, um, and for many reasons, including how algorithms work with regards to Google and Facebook and all of these big meta and all these big companies, we are pushed to create content. And I know this because I run a media business that is as controversial and extreme as possible. That's how you get the click, right? Famous tech journalist, Sarah Kara Swisher says, enragement equals engagement, and she couldn't be more right. Um, so in this context, it's fascinating to see the results of this massive misinformation study around meat by Changing Markets, which is a nonprofit. Um, and they did it along with a Swiss data firm called Ripple Research. And essentially they analyzed 285 million posts on social media 
And um, it's a big report. And the way we decided to report on it is that we broke it down into the 12 facts and takeaways because otherwise you just get lost in the data because um, it's the largest ever analysis of online meat and dairy information that has ever been done and shows that, you know, essentially what's happening around veganism and the science around eating more sustainably, sustainably and lessening meat intake is absolutely akin to kind of what's happening um, in the QAnon kind of climate denial, um, anti-woman, incel, like all of these kind of extreme online cultures that are proliferating by, and and like the anti-vaccine and all of this, all of this, all of this is all kind of related. And it's just this very kind of conspiracy led approach to information. Um, and it's just absolutely frightening just how much you see when you're going through some of these fi findings that the these arguments that I get when I do panels or these questions, um, they're almost like verbatim from some of these misinformation and disinformation campaigns. Um, it's crazy. And it's basically around denying climate change, denying the environmental impact of alternative proteins, calling alternative proteins processed and unhealthy, um, you know, having academics that are and that are paid by the meat industry kind of present as experts that are saying that alternative proteins are bad. There's also like a whole culture war aspect to it, making fun of like soy boys and questioning masculinity and pushing like the keto diet and the, the steak diet and all of this. And what's fascinating is somebody made a comment on one of our posts online about how the numbers are really small. So if you look at on a million posts, it's it's like a very tiny, less than 1% percentage of posts that are that are pushing this extreme. But if you understand how algorithms work and how social media platforms work to drive engagement, you understand that you only need a few of these to really kind of cause huge ripple effects, right? And this is exactly what you see in when there was COVID and we had all this misinformation around COVID and the vaccines and the masks. And they, you know, a lot of studies were done and it came down to, you know, six Instagram accounts were responsible for 90% of the messaging. And then it just kind of rippled and proliferated from there. So it's just, it's absolutely frightening. Um, uh, one of the conclusions is that the misinformation will undermine COP28 food outcomes. Um, and, you know, it's potentially why we don't have as much going on on the meat reduction front that, as we discussed earlier, just on this on this session. So I don't know what did you look at that piece? What did you think? How do you look at misinformation as an investor in the space? Yeah, I mean, so like everything you just said, like it was I agree with all this, like the, the, the takeaways and I was. I was super surprised at some of this stuff. And like, to be honest, like, I guess you only get the type of information that you expose yourself to, like based on the platforms you expose yourself to. So I, I saw some things in here that I'm like, what, this is even happening. This is even an idea. And like, uh, just to bring up two of them that like blew my mind was one of them. Like, I didn't even know there was this type of conspiracy theory that the COVID-19 pandemic was, was purposefully created to weaken humanity so that some people can some like maintain control of humanity in some way. And that that's connecting that to climate, food, agriculture, and all that stuff. Like, 
that's just an insane idea, but like, okay, some people apparently believe that. And then the other one that like was so, it was actually almost like funny to me because it just highlights how misinformed some people are was that there were certain targets of misinformation with one of them being Bill Gates, right? And and they were saying that Bill Gates was accused of basically trying to tamper with livestock and just and create artificial food shortages so that they he could promote the the foods that he's invested in one of them being cultivated meat and it's just like such a crazy idea because the reality is someone who knows the spaces let's say some let that bill gates is actually out of his mind and he did that right if all the livestock just like we lost 10 percent of all of our livestock and everyone's like we need to replace that with cultivated meat that's impossible right now we can't do that like we just we literally can't do it if if all the livestock tomorrow disappeared 100 percent of them people would not be eating cultivated beef because it's just not out there it's not forget about it even being regulatory approved no one's creating it in any meaningful quantity at all so that would be the most backwards approach for bill gates or anyone who's invested in cultivated meat to try because it's just it's not going we can't feed the world with cultivated meat right now. It's just it's, whether there's cattle or not. So it's just the, to know that there's campaigns out there that push that. And then there's people that believe that like it's yes, it's scary, but we it's I guess it's also a good thing that we know that this exists because for for startups and for even more so, I think more importantly, like regulators and politicians, like they need to kind of be the ones to continue to be the voice of reason i guess where they are pushing things forward in a a legitimate matter and focusing on the facts and you asked like how i think about this from from an investor standpoint it's tough this is not something that like you can't it's not like it's investable to create a miss or a a true information campaign right like that's that's not something yeah, no, that like I, a vc is gonna back i wasn't thinking it that so way it's, I was more thinking like, how do you look at it, you know, with regards to like what you're investing in and like the conversations happening around our industry and a lot of the sector and how much of it yeah, is affected by, by this rubbish. I mean, it's, it's definitely being affected and more, more notably in the plant-based space, right? Like where like plant-based is here and now it's, it's cultivated and precision fermentation and, and different approaches that are more synthetic biology there. They're a little bit medium to longer term, right? So maybe it's hurting them from like a little bit, but like it, right now they're not out in the market, but plant-based is being hit immediately because consumers have the ability to either purchase or not purchase plant-based products. And and I think like if it's definitely hitting on all of all the companies that we have exposure to in the plant-based space and, and like from an investor standpoint, like my only thought is like, it's important for every startup out there to really like, go back to the the basics of like really understand who your core customer is and and give them what they want so that they keep buying buying more repeat purchases and then expanding that pie getting more customers that are on the fringes of being customers and and then just putting out real information but i would try not to get too bogged down in creating campaign campaigns to combat this stuff or spending money to combat combat these insane um, misinformation campaigns that are out there because it's it's very clear that there's just going to be a, a group of people over the population that um, not only they, they they don't like what you're doing but that they believe things that are just almost insane to think about. So forget about them. Focus on the business. Focus on your core customer. 
customers and making them happy and expanding the, the companies um, organically, right? Or like, or like really just focusing on fundamentals, I guess. Um, but it's, it's crazy. These are, this is like, a, a, this was an eye-opening piece for sure. Absolutely. And God bless people for doing this, this work, which is thankless. I think that obviously considering what I do, this is a really important piece for journalists and editors. And they need to be, you know, running their stories about meat, meat information, uh, meat, um, uh, meat reduction, livestock agriculture, food and climate. They need to be running their pieces by through like a misinformation. In fact, maybe that's something somebody could do: invent a misinformation AI chatbot that can that you can kind of run your 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 reporting through and make sure that you are not inadvertently. Um, pushing through some kind of misinformation message through your reporting, because I definitely see reporting where they're giving too much space to these kind of extreme ideas that are, have no basis in fact. So, so I think from that point of view, it, and it is important because as we know very well, when mainstream media repeats messaging and then it kind of gets echoed around social media and then suddenly you know, LPs in a fund are asking questions to the investors and investors are asking questions to the founders and it just, it has this ripple effect. And then, you know, regular consumers are wondering, you know, why is processed meat so unhealthy? And like, stay tuned. I'm I'm working on a huge piece with two amazing researchers about UPFs and plant-based meat. And it's going to be an amazing resource. But, you know, I while I agree that, you know, you can't spend all your time and money combating misinformation, it's it's very important when you're creating content and you're you're kind of creating kind of events, panels, um, anything where you're having conversations around these topics. You have to make sure that you are not inadvertently platforming misinformation narratives. Definitely, I I, I fully fully agree, and that's such an interesting point there. And like, it goes beyond just startups and investors. Like like there's like to like journalism or or conferences and all that like anything the way those are set up the way that those are positioned that can either push misinformation forward or push push real information forward depending on how they're created so it's um it's just a crazy crazy piece and and, and a good uh a good eye-opening thing to to look at for sure yeah and everyone should be yeah definitely reading it um, in the space, or if you're in food and climate or in media, just to get an idea of just how easily we are manipulated and sold false narratives. Um, but let's end on a more positive story. What uh, what caught your fancy for the the good news this week? Yeah, so my the the American in me that thinks about what I grew up with and what it was in every pantry of every household growing up was. Um, Kraft Mac and Cheese, there was an item in this week's newsletter that says Kraft has unveiled a vegan version of their famous boxed mac and cheese. Uh, and they did this in collaboration with uh, the startup Notco, uh, which is a, a Chilean company. Uh, and this is not the first collaboration with Notco. They they've came out with Kraft singles, like the sliced cheeses that are also very just like ubiquitous in, in, at least in the U S and I'm sure in other parts of the world as well. But in this, this in my mind is exactly what you want to see in the space. 
because there is nothing more mass market in my mind than Kraft mac and cheese. It is everywhere. I looked up some stats on it and forget about revenue numbers. Like I've seen revenues for just the mac and cheese anywhere between 500 million to a billion dollars a year. Like cool, yeah, impressive. But one thing I saw was there's, they, they potentially sell 1 million boxes of Kraft mac and cheese a day in the US. I don't know if that's true, right? I saw that, but I, I saw two places that said that. If, even if it's remotely close to that, that is so insane. And that just shows the reach uh, of Kraft Mac and Cheese and how it is just a part of the everyday life of a consumer. So the fact that now there will be an ability for the everyday consumer to just, just put it into their lifestyle in a plant-based way, as opposed to a dairy-based way, that's exactly what we want. We want it to be a low or no behavior change approach to shifting to a more sustainable food system. And this is what we need. And the one last thing I'll highlight is it's really funny because I, I've been in this space for a decent amount of time. And in the earlier years, there's a lot of, at least on the investor side, a lot of investors saying, no, I don't want to work with the big, the big guys. I don't want to work with the big meat producers or the big uh, CPG companies because they're the enemy. We got to take them down, right? And like, that seems like a little backwards, like, and it definitely seems backwards now because who has better reach than the big food companies, whether it's on the meat side or CPG side, no one, they are specialists in getting food in front of people and into every home. So this just shows how impactful it could be when you work with them and like massive kudos to Notco for landing this type of partnership with Kraft. That is so impossibly hard to do, but when they do it and when it works, there's a chance now that they could be in every single household in the United States and then globally long-term. So I love this. Yeah, no, this story was reported by, I want to say like uh, over a hundred outlets. I mean, it's funny because if you, if you look at our piece, we, we did cover all the other vegan mac and cheeses that are out there. And there, I think there's almost like 10 already now that you can get and that you have been able to get, including one by the actress, who plays Wonder Woman, she invested or she gave her name and, and kind of like backed this uh, mac and cheese company called Goodles and they have a vegan version. And then there's like Annie's has one. And anyway, um, there, there have been others before, but Kraft is the quintessential mac and cheese brand. So it's a huge signal. Um, Kraft is obviously part of Kraft Heinz. Uh, something interesting related to COP is that today or yesterday, uh, a bunch of companies, six members of the Dairy Methane Action Alliance, um, agreed to begin reporting their methane emissions by mid-2024. Um, as you know, methane, when cows burp, huge problem in dairy and in livestock, and one of the reasons why emissions are so high from dairy and livestock, and as you might know, methane doesn't have as long of a life. Um, in terms of compared to carbon, but in the short term, it's quite damaging. And um, Kraft Heinz is one of the six companies that agreed to do this. So it's interesting that they agreed to do this like two, two days after or whatever, that they announced that they were coming out with this vegan mac and cheese. And it kind of explains how a lot of big companies are looking at their supply chain and going, all right, how can we kind of sub in our ingredients to be either, you know, better on a deforestation front or better on a waterfront or better on a soil regeneration front or better on a methane front. And, and I think anybody 
any startup that's positioned themselves in that B2B supply chain kind of offering with an ingredient that can keep getting better and can slot in to an existing recipe for a big food product um, and can kind of help with lowering the footprint in whatever it is, water, biodiversity, uh, you know, emissions, et cetera, is, is really kind of on the right track. And, you know, I think as a startup, you really need to ask yourself, like, are you building a brand or are you creating a B2B ingredient? And then c companies like Kraft are your, are your clients. Definitely. And, and, and again, like you could do both. It's hard. I think it's, it's much, there's a different type of business to be B2B versus B2C, but like Notco is doing both. And I don't know which, which ones are like, which side of the business is, is better for them. But uh, from a, an expansion standpoint, I can guarantee that this B2B approach with, with craft is absolutely better. So. Um, well, it's funny because one of I'm their just, milks, yeah. like they pulled one of their fresh milks in the U S and a lot of their stuff is actually more B2B, right? Like a lot of their like meat products, it's they it's more like sold as in 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 Latin American kind of burger or food service plays, right? The craft singles is with craft, the cheese singles. So how many products do they actually have on the shelf that are really just for retail? Not as many in it. Like I just I feel like they've they've spent the last year and a half really beefing up, if you will, the B2B side and not announcing yeah. any of the retail. Maybe I've, I I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure that it's because one is better than the other for, from a business point of view, but certainly interesting. Definitely. And either way, I'm excited that that little blue box can now be plant-based and everywhere. So it's very good. Well, now I'm interested to see who buys it and what are sales like and yes, you know, yes. What was the demand for it? And I mean, does it taste exactly the same? You'll have to buy it and let me know. Cause that's another one, right? Cause if it really tastes the same, what's the problem? I agree. I agree fully. That's that's the, the most important thing at the end of the day. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this week. Um, I'll speak to you guys to you next week after I come back from COP and uh, looking forward to sharing everything I discover there. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.